Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 53. One of the, one of the things that we do uh, at Grace Community Church is, and, and this is kind of for you kids uh, to, to understand and know, and if you are, if you are observant, uh, you can pick this up. But we, we pick a book of the Bible generally and preach through it from one end of the book, from chapter one to chapter whatever is the last one. And so one of the reasons that we do that is so that we come to all of the places then and get to most all of the things that the author is saying to us uh, in this book. And so there's not any room. You, you know, if I try to skip something because it's uncomfortable or hard or difficult or, you know, kind of weird. Uh, and so that has been the case with the book of Mark. We have been preaching now for quite some time, though we've taken many long breaks, uh, through the gospel of Mark. Uh, and it has been one of the, I was looking at the I find it, you probably do, like, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I like to look at the folder structure on my computer. I've already lost like a lot of you. And like, I like to see all these Word documents that are in this folder and that, that represent all these sermons that I've preached in this book. And the Mark folder on my computer is very satisfying to me because it's got a lot of Word documents in it. And I know there's, there's lots of sermons in there that I've preached. And, and it's been an enjoyable thing. And Mark, I think, has been one of the most uh, enjoyable for me as I've preached through it. But we are in the middle of a very dark portion of the book of Mark. And I think that as we approach it, which, which we are, and like I said, we're not going to go around the dark or uncomfortable or, you know, a little bit, you know, we want, we want to skip to the end of the book and get to the and get to the good, like the, the winning, right? We need, to, we need to keep that in mind as we are navigating this, these last evening and days of Jesus's earthly life leading up to the crucifixion. We need to keep that end in mind. This is going somewhere and there's a lot of darkness going on in the, in the text this morning, um, which I think is purposeful and serves, serves Mark's uh, intent for the book, which is to encourage the Roman Christians as they face persecution uh, and the same sort of injustice that is being faced by our Lord to know that our Lord faced it and he was strong in the face of it and his strength came from his heavenly father. And so let's kind of keep the end in mind that this is going somewhere, uh, that this is, that, that there is, as the famous sermon and the famous preacher preached it, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Now we're just spending a long time on Friday uh, right now. So. so Mark chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, if you don't have your Bibles, it's found on page 10 of your worship guide. I invite you to follow along there. But there is a, before I read our text, uh, uh, there is a, a small island in the middle of San Francisco Bay that is so famous, I don't really have to say any more about it. You already know what, what island I'm talking about in the middle of San Francisco Bay there. But it has had many names, uh, and, and the names uh, include the Island of the Pelicans or the Island of the Garnets, depending on how you pronounce the Spanish but it's been home to, to famous or to, to various military forts and fortifications. 
It still has the oldest operating lighthouse in the United States, which is very cool. And getting tickets to go tour it is very difficult. Uh, but it's also the setting for so many pop culture shows and TV shows and movies and even video games. And, um, but it's most famous, of course, for its use as a federal prison. And like I said, I don't, I don't even have to say its name at this point. But the most famous name that it's known as is The Rock. And you kind of have to have a Sean Connery, The Rock there. Uh, sort of saying it's called that not only because it, it literally is is a rock. I mean, there's it, there's not much to it, but it's so secure and that escape from the rock is virtually in, impossible. And especially as a prison, it was solid, immovable, like unassailable. And once you're in, you are in until they let you out. Uh, despite what Clint Eastwood movies would lead you to believe. But what else, like what else can you think of that is that steadfast, right? That strong, that, that secure. Well, you see where I'm going with this, right? In the text, we see Jesus and he is before the highest court in all of Jewish, the Jewish world, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the Jewish Supreme Court there. And all of the legal forces of that world and time and place are just arrayed against Jesus. They are, they are set up to, to knock him down. And as we're going to see, this trial is a sham. There is, there is, uh, nothing legal about it. The witnesses are a sham. The, that that this is this is a, a a witch hunt, and there is Jesus in the middle. And what is Jesus <laughs> in the midst of all of this other falsity and pretense? Jesus is steadfast. He is immovable. He is solid. Uh, he is the rock. And, and then there's Peter. <laughs> uh, we love Peter. I love Peter. Because Peter thinks he's strong. Because his name is literally rock, right? But he's about to crumble. But when he does, what's he going to find beneath his feet? He's going to find the rock. The real rock. He's going to find true strength, true steadfastness that comes from outside himself. Christ is a solid rock. The false witnesses of the Sanhedrin, they fling themselves in vain trying to destroy him. Peter crumbles, but he retains his foundation on Jesus. So let's look at this text in three ways. These witnesses, there's three witnesses here. First, the witness of the false witnesses, the witness of Peter, the crumbling rock, and then there's the witness of Christ, the solid rock. So the witness of the false witnesses, the witness of Peter, the crumbling rock, and the witness of Christ, the solid rock. Starting in verse 53, let me read. And they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and he was sitting with the guards 
and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were sitting, seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the serving girls came, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's first look at the witness of the false witnesses. Um, the, the, the identity, remember we, this, this episode comes to us right on the heels of the Garden of Gethsemane and the arrest and betrayal and this mob shows up with the torches and the clubs and the swords and, and they drag Jesus away and everybody scatters and, and but this, the identity and activity of this mob who arrested Jesus in the garden here shifts and it trades the, the shadows of the streets that they were moving through for the home of the powerful high priest. It trades the, the clubs and swords intended to cut and bash for the authority or for the trappings of, of legal testimonies with, with the same intent. It trades the anonymity of a faith, faceless mob for the authority of official offices and position and power. But one thing stays the same, the darkness. And there's legal darkness, as I, as I alluded to earlier. Their legal darkness, according to their own laws, is, is, in, is what this trial is all about. That, that nothing about this trial was, was technically 
legal that trials, number one, could not be conducted at night. Check. Uh, trials were held in a special chamber in the temple, not in the home of the high priest. They, they got that one wrong too. Furthermore, no trial could be held on the Sabbath or on a feast day or on the eve of a feast day. And then finally, if the Sanhedrin did convict someone of a capital crime, one day they always were required to meet again the next day to confirm that conviction as a, a legal safeguard, a, a safeguard to justice. And so every single one of these safeguards to justice were violated in the trial that Jesus uh, had in the home of Caiaphas, who was a very, very powerful high priest. So it's all in legal darkness. Uh, but all of this legal darkness is coming from hearts that are darkened. Their hearts were really in the deepest darkness. Verse 55, what does it say they were seeking? They weren't seeking justice. They were seeking a testimony against Jesus to put him to death. They didn't want the truth. They, didn't, they weren't passionate for orthodoxy or anything like that. Uh, they wanted blood. And that is exactly what they were going to get. They themselves, in their seeking of blood, in their seeking to do away with this political rival, this, this, this false teacher in their minds, who was, who was not so much moving people astray, but moving people astray from them and out from underneath their teaching and their, their understanding of what the Lord required of people. But Jesus was, was, was undermining their authority and openly mocking them in the public eye. And in order to rid themselves of Jesus, they were very willing to violate the ninth commandment. And they themselves, along with many others, bore false witness against Jesus. The Greek word for witness is the word that we get our, our English word martyr from. Uh, but the word for false witness is literally pseudo-martyr. In other words, they were, they were giving a witness, but it wasn't a true witness. It was, it was a false witness. It was a pseudo-witness. But even then, even with truth not being on the table, they couldn't get their testimonies to agree. They couldn't get their lies to line up. The Sanhedrin's dark idolatry of its own power and authority, that was their rock. That was the thing that they were standing upon, that their, their idols were about to be smashed against the true rock of the Son of God, that, that Jesus is and has always been the true culture warrior against a culture of the consolidation of political power in and around earthly leaders, even if they're supposedly on our side. And for this night and the next three days, it's gonna seem like the crass political power of the world is gonna win out. But ultimately, 
those idols would prove themselves as empty and powerless against Christ the rock. So that's the, the witness of the false witnesses. Let's, let's move now to the witness of Peter, the crumbling rock. And I really love, like Mark's account of this in the way that it's depicted is, is really wonderful. It's, it's, like, it's like a reading a screenplay for, for a movie or a TV show. You can almost see the camera cuts in the text as he's, as he's telling this story because the camera shifts scenes that are intercut between trial and then what's going on outside in the courtyard, this sort of parallel action that's taking place. And it's following this parallel story of Peter as he follows Jesus. And in verse 54, it says, Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. And let's, let's kind of give Peter some credit. <laughs> like we, we love to kind of beat up on Peter. He's sort of this bombastic, you know, huge personality in the Bible, uh, in, the, in the New Testament among the disciples. But let's, let's give Peter some credit here that he was really taking a risk by going into the courtyard here. And, and apparently when we last saw Peter, after he chopped off the ear of the high priest's servant, uh, Jesus healed him and kind of rebukes him. And Peter scatters with the rest of the, the disciples that were with Jesus in the garden. But at some point in that, he recovered from his panicked fleeing and followed this mob home to the, to the house of Caiaphas. And the risk of him being recognized was very great. Um, and as Peter stood around this fire, I mean, the fire was, itself was illuminating his face, right? It's like, hey, like, he just cut off one of the servants of the high priest, Malchus. Uh, and in this household, in whom's courtyard, he was now standing, warming himself by the fire. And so, hey, aren't you the one who cut off poor Malchus's ear? We heard about that. And like, there, you had to know that that was, that was part of the risk that he was taking. And so here Peter is in the middle of the, the enemy territory, so to speak, and he's the rock. And he knows he's the rock because Jesus said he was. And that's a pretty good reason. You remember, it's not in Mark's gospel, but in Matthew, uh, he says, Jesus asks, you know, who do you say that I am? And then Peter confesses, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus in verse 18 of Matthew 16 says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, and that's true. Like that has not stopped being true at any point during any of this. So let's just kind of keep that in mind as we think about Peter. But Peter's a guy who operates in extremes. He, he is either extremely right or he's extremely wrong. Uh, he's the same one who fled an hour earlier in fear of his own life. He's now around this fire in the middle of the courtyard of the very one who's going to execute Jesus. He's the same one who boldly proclaims Jesus is the Christ is now going to deny him. Verse 66 through 72 has these 
these three denials, which, which are so familiar to us. And, and again, the, the action in Mark is very cinematic for us. And the servant girl, as he stands around the fire, a serving girl recognizes Peter and says, hey, you're one of them. And Peter denies it, saying, I don't know him. I don't even know what you're talking about. I think the text is like, I don't, I don't even understand what you're saying. And I wonder... As Peter said that, did he register that first rooster crow? Did those sound waves enter his ear and, and cause him some synapse in his brain to fire so that he, he recognized the sound but also what it represented? It's hard to, it's hard to ignore a rooster crow. I mean, we've, we've got a rooster that lives in our neighborhood and that thing goes off at all hours of the day. Um, but then the same servant girl doesn't leave it alone. And Peter sort of says, oh, I better not stand next to the illuminating fire. And so he goes out towards the gate of the courtyard, gets a little further on the fringe so that he can still, you know, catch what's going on inside, but maybe not be quite so exposed in terms of his own identity there, right? But the, the serving girl presses and begins to, to, to whisper to her coworkers and point and look at Peter. And they, she again, you know, says, you're one of them. And Jesus, and Peter says, I don't know him. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And he denies uh, the, uh, the second time, but by that time, the crowd has recognized him and they, they all are starting to insisting, insistently, you know, that, that Peter is one of the disciples of Jesus. And, and you can just sort of see the, the beads of sweat start to form on Peter's forehead. And you know that in his chest, his heart was, was pumping and that adrenaline was, was coursing through his veins. And look, Peter plus adrenaline equals trouble. I think that's the, that's the equation here. And, and that's why we get to verse 71. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. You can feel the escalation of the fear within, within Peter. And then the rooster crows the second time. And this time it does register. And the crush comes like a, a bolt. 72 says, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time. You can, you can almost hear the, the shot <laughs> ring out through the, through, the, through the night and pierce Peter's heart with this realization and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he breaks down and he wept. Peter's self-assured bravery crumbles. And he realizes something. He's not the rock. He's sand. Peter very much like the Sanhedrin was working from a place of self-dependent, self-assured confidence and strength. Peter, Peter had the will, he had the strength, he had the faith 
to follow Jesus, whatever the cost. And he was so quick to declare that on, on the night in the Last Supper when Jesus says, you're, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says in verse 29, even though they all fall away, I will not. And it's that boast that had to have driven him into that courtyard in the first place. But Peter's going to find out, and he found out that under the weight of his own self-centered failure, he sand, he crumbles. Following Jesus is a journey. It's a journey into greater and greater acknowledgement of weakness and dependence. Second Corinthians twelve nine, Paul in asking the Lord to take away some infirmity that he was struggling with, received this answer. You know what it is. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, Paul says so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Remember, Peter is the rock. Peter was named the rock by Jesus. Peter is still, even at this point, in his, in his melting down of realization that he is not as strong as he thought he was, he's still the rock. But he recognizes and he become, comes to recognize that in his weakness, Christ is made manifest. Christ is known more through his weakness. And that's true for us. Our weakness shines the light on the Lord's strength. Our dependence shines the light on the Lord's providential care. Our need and poverty shines the light on the riches of the Lord's grace. Here's the thing. Peter follows Jesus. He does follow Jesus faithfully. And, and whereas the false witnesses of the Sanhedrin that were taking place inside the house were, were there on display, Peter gave a witness himself. And that word martyr came out in, in Peter's faithful witness to Jesus Christ because Peter ultimately did give his life for his Savior. Peter, because of his, faith, his faithful witness, is crushed, but only temporarily. In Christ, he wins an eternal victory. Because Peter comes to learn that the true rock is Jesus Christ. So let's look at the witness of Christ, the solid rock. All throughout Mark, Jesus has been saying to people, don't tell others who I am. He would go and he would, he would uh, heal somebody or perform some miracle. Then he would charge them. He would strictly charge them. Like, don't, don't tell anybody who did this. Don't tell anybody who I am. Don't tell anybody what happened. But, but now there's no more reason to be silent. And in verse 60 and six through 62, uh, we have this account of Caiaphas himself, the high priest, who stood up in the midst and asked, Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Jesus knew that 
There was, there was their own testimony condemned them because none of their own testimony agreed and none of it was legal in any, any sense. But again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And the son of the blessed is just a way of saying the son of God. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus answers the, the Sanhedrin's idolatry of their own authority with his true and ultimate authority. Caiaphas asked him, are you the Messiah? Are you God? Jesus answers definitively. And he does so with reference to scripture. He does so with a reference to Daniel chapter seven, which obviously the high priest would have known these famous words that were spoken of the Messiah who was always understood to be divine. It says, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. If this was a trap set by Caiaphas for Jesus, Jesus does not walk into it. He runs and jumps into it and then dances around on the trap that Caiaphas is setting for him. Jesus is saying to Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, you are now judging me, but one day I will judge you. Jesus' strength to stand against the darkness of this injustice was his identity as the son of the living God. Remember, that's, there's no neutrality in the book of Mark towards who Jesus is. You have to choose. And God the Son drew his strength from the true promise of God the Father. First Peter, ironically, Peter, who wrote this, First Peter chapter 2, 23 says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus, the true rock, did not crumble. In his human weakness, Jesus drew strength from his father that even as he was, he was spit upon and beaten, Jesus endured in the strength of God for the sake of his mission. Jesus endured so that by his grace, those of us who are like Peter, who have been crushed by sin and failure, can be made alive again. We can be saved and strengthened by the transforming grace of the Holy Spirit. At every point and on every word of this story that we've read this morning and looked at this morning, Peter is beloved. Peter is beloved by his Savior who stands just a few yards away being beaten and spit upon so that Peter might actually become the rock and Peter became the rock, not because he was able to follow Jesus in his own strength, but Peter was the rock because the grace of Jesus 
and the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. That in that grace, the grace of justification and in the grace of sanctification being transformed to be more and more like Jesus, God gave him a strength that was not his own and that he did not deserve. And that is the same grace, that is the same transforming power that Christ offers to us this day and every day. That as we come to this table, we come, number one, thanking the Lord that by his grace and mercy, we have been justified. We have been, we have been made right, that, that there is no sham trial for us, but that God who is perfectly just is also our justifier in Christ Jesus because his righteousness becomes ours and his death becomes ours as we identify ourselves with him by faith. That is all. By faith. That we come to this table every time as crushed rocks, as those who are weak, We cannot come to this table without announcing and proclaiming our weakness and need for what is set before us in the broken body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And every time as his people come to this table, the spirit works in them through some mysterious power and grace of the Holy Spirit to draw us nearer, to remind us of the grace that is ours, to encourage us in our repentance, to assure us of his pardon. In short, to shine the light of his mercy into the darkness of our crushed hearts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we do approach your table this morning as those who acknowledge our need. It's humbling to, to read and to think and to study this passage and, and the account of what, what you endured on our behalf. It's, it's wonderful to think of the love which, which held your mouth shut in the face of such unjust false testimony about you. It's, it's humbling to imagine the the strength of will that it took not to obliterate with the power of 72,000 angels those who were beating and spitting on you. And yet you endured all of that for love, for the love of a crushed and broken people. Lord, thank you. Thank you for setting this table before us. Be with us now as we come to it to feast on the goodness that is ours in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.